Well, it's 2024. Should you be following a low-carb, high-fat diet? Welcome to the Inside Sports Nutrition Podcast, your source for all things sports nutrition related. This show is hosted by myself, Bob Sibahar, and my awesome co-host, Dina Griffin. We are both registered dietitians who are board-certified specialists in sports dietetics with combined professional experience exceeding 40 years. We are here to translate nutrition and sports science research to real life and give you some awesome interviews with a variety of experts so you can enhance your knowledge to optimize your health, fitness, and athletic performance. On today's episode, number 111, that's right, 111th episode, we are talking to our good friend, Mickey Willidan. Now, she is a PhD, registered nutritionist in New Zealand, and we are chatting all about lower-carb diets. Now, we're going to break down the definitions of low-carb, high-fats, and also MLCHF. What is MLCHF? Because we've heard of LCHF, low-carb, high-fat. What is M? Well, M is modified. So what we're seeing these days are some modifications being made to low-carb, high-fat, quote-unquote, diets for various reasons. So we're going to chat with Mickey about that too. Now, we're going to talk about everything from what these are, how do we pursue these if we think they're right for you, considerations of low-carb for aging individuals, how low-carb, high-fat can work to counter fat loss goals, talk about supplements, we're going to talk about testing, this is such a great episode and just chock full of information all about low carb and high fat. Now, a little bit more about our guest, Mickey. She graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Human Nutrition and a Bachelor of Physical Education from the University of Otago. She attained her Master's in Science with first class honors in 2003, focusing on the development of a childhood obesity program. And as a registered nutritionist, she has been privately consulting with clients since 2006 and has worked with a vast number of people with different health and performance goals. In 2011, she obtained her PhD after completing her doctoral thesis in health and productivity in the New Zealand workforce. Now, Mickey is not only an amazing person, she also has a fantastic podcast that we love listening to also. It's called Micopedia, which in where she deeps digs deep into the topics of nutrition, longevity, fitness, health, and she's also a co-host of a weekly endurance sports podcast called Fitter Radio, one of my favorite ones also. So Mickey is a phenomenal resource. We have such a great conversation with her throughout, and I really think you're going to gain a lot from this episode. But before we get to the show, just a little reminder, it's 2024. We know a lot of goals are being set. If you are snacking, don't forget to go visit my company, All Around Snack Company, where I provide you metabolically efficient snacks. That's right, low in added sugars, good amount of protein, no preservative, you know, junk kind of thing. So head on over there to allaroundsnackco.com. If you use the new code ISN Podcast 24, that's 24, you can get 15% off your order. And now, on to the show. Hey, Dina, if I present three words to you, which one do you choose? Low, moderate, or high? I'm going to have to ask for context. Oh, I was hoping, listen, listeners, 
I did not set Dina up with this. This was total surprise if you could see her face. That is what I was getting at is context. Context matters. And that's kind of what we're trying to do today is put low carbohydrate, high fat or LCHF into context. And we have a super special guest. She's been on our podcast before. You might know her name because she's got an amazing podcast also in New Zealand. Her name is Mickey Willidan. Mickey, hello. How are you today? Ah, I am honored as always to come back on your podcast, you guys. I had such a fun time last time chatting about diet, protein, low carb, and it is really great to be back to put context around LCHF. What a great way to sort of introduce the topic. Oh, thank you. Well, and I, you know, I'm always thinking, I mean, my mind always works in periodization, right? It's always about Mm. nutrition, periodization, like what do athletes or individuals need based on their health, health goals, fitness goals, athletic performance goals. And it is really all about context, but I think we all think of that periodization and we're also all thinking about metabolic efficiency, right? So how can Mm. we be more efficient in using what we have stored? So listeners, that's, you know, carbohydrates and fat. But I just, you know, I feel there's still so much confusion around the whole low carb, high fat. And we're actually going to introduce maybe another term our listeners have not heard of before. And that's MLCHF. That's moderate low carbohydrate, high fat. So we're going to kind of get into this a little bit because, and I don't know about you, Mickey, in New Zealand, but there's so much confusion in the state still about LCHF. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I do, Bob. And I feel in part for the athlete listening is that a lot, what some of the confusion arises from the information available about LCHF. So a lot of the information we read around the health benefits and why it's a desirable eating pattern for so many people is directed or targeted towards gen pop, like people who aren't your active person. And so that's where I think some of the confusion sort of arises with LCHF. And then when an athlete tries to implement it as it's laid out in that information, um, they just can crash and burn because it's not appropriate for an athlete yeah, as, a, as a rule of thumb. I mean, I'm not saying there's not... Uh, sort of the the um, there's not a time and a place, but you know if you're just going to adopt an LCHF diet as an athlete, that's where actually the more MLCHF can come into play. Yeah, and that's where that wonderful periodization comes into play because I, I do think that people a lot a lot of times they kind of dive into the deep water without knowing what's underneath the water first, right? And they're just like, hey, I'll just do it, but they don't consider all the other variables that are necessary. So I guess let's. If you don't mind, Mickey, let's start with just, you know, I think all of us know what LCHF is. It's low carbohydrate, high fat. Although I still don't believe there's a technical definition of what low is. Is that correct? Yeah, I would agree with you, Bob. Like you might look at um, the literature around it and the literature might state that anything with sort of 25% or less of your calories coming from carbohydrate would be considered low carb. Although other people might use a definition of anything less than the recommended dietary intake value, which, you know, in New Zealand, it's sort of 45 to 65%. So anything mm. less than 45% of your energy coming from carbohydrate. Um, But then, of course, you've got the definitions that are based on absolute amounts rather than relative. And you've got 
sort of 50 grams and below might be considered uh, low enough to put you in that ketogenic state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sort of 50 to 150 might be considered a low-carb diet or anything less than 100. You're right. I've just given you 10 different options for how you might define <laughs> LCHF. Well, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm a person who counts as macros. I'm not, by the way. I think our listeners know that. But maybe I eat, you know, let's just say 200 grams of carbohydrate today and tomorrow I eat 180 Am I following an LCHF? Well, I just decreased my carbs, but it, it's like, again, we have to put it in context, right? It's not just about that. Oh, today I might eat 10 or 20 grams less and tomorrow 10 or 20 grams more, but they have to be doing it for a reason, right? Like if you're going to do LCHF, it's for a reason and, and there has a purpose, right? Absolutely. And also I would say that the the average American eats around 300 grams of carbohydrates, mm, yeah. you know, and, and it's very similar here in New Zealand. So we could say that, you know, 180 to 200 is lower carb and you, and as you said, it's context. So, so we, are, we, you as an athlete, Bob might've eaten 180 grams of carbohydrate and then also gone and sort of utilized mm-hmm. around I don't know, like 60, 70, 80 grams of carbohydrate an hour you might have burnt if you were, you know, out on a run as well. So low carb for an athlete is typically higher than low carb for the general population because mm. of the energy expenditure and metabolic cost of, of what we do. Yeah, well said. Well said. So where does MLCHF come into play? So moderate low. Where talk to us about what that means. Yeah, I would I would say that it's a um it's obviously less than the amounts that we've sort of just talked about with what the general population sort of has, but also it's almost like it, hard to explain, know. isn't it? Yeah. It is. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. trying to think what is it? and again, it's it, I don't there's no real I don't I haven't seen a definition for there's no particular amount less than a general population more than someone who's following low carb from a meta, uh, sort of metabolic therapy perspective mm-hmm. and and also a, a varied sort of carb intake depending on um, activity uh, sort of performed on that day is how I would describe it how okay. would you describe it Bob I think the same way. It's like, it's not, it's not low. It's not high. It's not the crazy, you know, what we used to do back in the days, Dina, I checked that box really early. So back in the days we used to just, uh, just and eat an enormous amount of carbohydrate. Cause that's what we were taught. And that's, you know, all that whole thing, that was a crazy amount. Right. And I feel yeah. like the keto is also a crazy amount. So I almost think of like the MLCHF is, is like that Goldilocks somewhere right in the middle, right? It's not yeah. too hot, not too cold. It's right. But I feel like personally, I feel like the MLCHF will have a little bit more leeway and more range than the LCHF. Yes. Yes. No. And I would agree with you with that too, because, you know, if you are out there training for an ultra marathon, doing sort of five hour runs in the weekend run hikes, then your ability to utilize carbohydrate and actually the the amount of carbohydrate you utilize will be way more than on a day when you might do a 30 minute sort of easy jog. So it's allowing Mm -hmm. for those sort of differences, because of course you need additional carbohydrate, at least to my mind, to recover appropriately as well. So that's when you can sort of um, have that varying amounts a little bit like I'd say carb cycling Mm -hmm. would be one way to sort of describe that as well. Yeah. 
Mickey, are there individuals that you think of that absolutely should never even look at this style of dietary pattern, whether we call it the lower carb or the moderate to low carb plan, higher fat or healthier fat level? Is there a certain group that you just say right out of the gate, not even assessing them maybe that that should mm. just avoid all of this completely? You know, Dina, that's a great question. And I think because the amounts we are talking about aren't at the extreme, then I couldn't think of a single person who I would say this would not be appropriate for. And and I wouldn't say that about a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet. You know, there are certainly okay. people who I think that that is just likely not an appropriate choice for. Similarly, a very high carbohydrate diet, there's almost no one that I would suggest necessarily mm -hmm. needs to do that. But in this middle range, this is almost sort of applicable for most people because, of course, it's very variable as to what that moderate to low carbohydrate sort of looks like depending on that individual's activity level. Okay. Yeah. If we are speaking in that we'll say the moderate to low range then for carbohydrate yeah. intake and maybe that little bit of shifting increase in fat intake, certainly paying attention to quality of foods and everything, nutrient density. Um, you know, this question comes up more and more the, these days and, and happily so in terms of um, gender differences and things. So when you're working with, let's say, active athletic individuals, and then looking at maybe men versus women, do you have some things that you keep in mind that help decide then like which within that moderate to low range where we might settle, of course, keeping in mind periodization principles and everything, but are there any other gender aspects here that we can speak to? Such a great question, Dina. And I think that with, with women, so the amount of carbohydrate um, that is essential for anyone is around 130 grams, right? So that's what the brain needs. That's what red blood cells need. That is, of course, what our you know body does produce, you know, on a sort of day by day basis. But of course, whilst there's not a ton of literature around it, when a woman does go lower carb, anecdotally speaking, also talking to practitioners, we know that this can be disruptive to the menstrual cycle. From a um, perspective of essentially it's and, and the question always arises, is it the carbohydrate or is it the calories actually? Mm -hmm. Because women are very good at restricting and I'm not suggesting men are not, but it's almost like women have been taking carbs out of their diets for years. Mm -hmm. You're just telling me to do, okay, sweet. And often, and I will say this um, because this is, you know, we are all of probably of this same personality type is that if you tell me that this number here, this lower number is good, well, this even lower number must be better. And I feel like this is where we can run into some sort of issues because um, from a, so what we know anecdotally is that too low carbohydrate then that can disrupt thyroid function. As, so, But we don't see that in literature, but we do see that in practice. And if you listen to some of the sort of voices in the ketogenic space, like Dom D'Agostino, who also sort of acknowledges and, and sort of mentions this. Um, and then 
on the sort of flip side or or when we're trying to uh, sort of correct some of that menstrual disturbances that can occur through low calories, low carb, an amount of about 150 grams of carbohydrate a day is often recommended to help restore mm. the menstrual cycle. And again, this is not literature based. This is in the realm of sort of practice. And some of my very good friends are naturopaths. And this is often what they would suggest their clients do as well. So so I think we just have to be mindful of the individual in front of us and how they're going to sort of uh, construe a message and, and what they're going to do with that information. I do think, though, at the moderate to low carb end, where we may be talking about 80 to 150 grams of carbohydrate, let's say, if we were sort of putting, um, you know, give or take however many, that's actually not that low. Like it isn't low enough to elicit a lot of these sort of negative sort of downstream effects that you might otherwise get if you were following a ketogenic diet. So what I would say is that it, it does, of course, depend on the training load of the individual. That's really important. So if you've got an athlete training sort of 12, 15 hours a week and they're hitting 100 grams of carbs a day, that for, for some women I've seen that does not work well at all. But for others, it's fine. You know, it's mm. it's so individual. Did I answer that question the way that you? So, well, let me throw some love to to my gender, right? So, how about the guys? What have you seen with the guys in LCHF? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, and I would say guys are still they're not exempt from some of these um, sort of issues because yeah. guys can be like completely type A, data driven, go mm-hmm. as low as you can type yep. as well, right? Yeah, and. But what I would say is is that often it's a, a calorie thing as much as anything, actually. Mm. And a lot of the time, the issues with low carb are conflated um, or, or, are, or the carbohydrate is to blame when actually it's a low calorie intake is, mm. is in fact to blame. Because for, for a lot of people, low carbohydrate diet, they, they find it very easy to eat less like their appetite is Mm -hmm. somewhat suppressed potentially because ketones are being produced which is more Mm -hmm. likely when you are as active as what you can be as a runner so um so i would say that that while guys are uh are less likely to experience negative impact it's they're not exempt but also guys are very good at following instructions you know exactly yeah so if i say bob I think that we need to bump up your calories because you're noticing, you know, changes in your sleep patterns and your mood, mm-hmm. or you've got no morning libido or whatever. We need to bump up those calories. Mm-hmm. You're going to have no issue at all putting more fat into your diet and bumping those calories up. Whereas I would right. say women are just a little less uh, likely to, not a little less likely, some women find it more difficult to add more in. Yeah, a little more hesitant to it, right? Yeah, hesitant. Yeah. That's the word I was. Yeah, thinking. you know, it's funny because and I and I picked out something that you said too. You know, I, I think our listeners have to remember LC is half the equation. HF yes. is the other half, and yes. so I see a lot of athletes saying, "Oh yeah, I'm going low carb," and they just totally pull the carbs out from their their nutrition plan like a rug, and they forget about the HF, right? So, like you were talking about, they're in a severe calorie deficit. They're hungry all the time, right? Because they're not eating enough fat to, because if you think about it, that's all low carb, high fat is you're decreasing carbs, but you have to actually increase the other side of the equation, right? So do you see a lot of people making that mistake or are they pretty good with it? No, no, I absolutely see people make that mistake. 
And it's um and almost for some people because of their type A personality, it's they're almost driven by some of what they're experiencing. Like you do get this sort of elevated stress hormone response mm-hmm. when you drop carbohydrate out. And so you can sort of feel more alert, a little bit more on edge. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you sort of feel like you want to just get out and and you know uh you know win at life for a period of time before you sort of crash and burn like yeah so that's I, I see that quite a bit yeah so I think like before individuals start or want to start or experiment I mean obviously we always say please refer to a professional so you have some guidance from a dietitian professional anyone like someone that actually knows what they're doing but I mean, it, it really, when we're looking at people starting LCHF or MLCHF, I feel like they, number one, they need to be in the right mindset because it's a behavior change. And we've talked about behavior change quite a bit on, on our podcast before, but also like, are there other things that you would like our listeners to know? And if like, if you're like, oh, Hey, before you start that, don't forget to one, two, three, like do these things or, or is it mindset? Is it like, what do they need to do maybe before they actually pull the trigger, if you will? Yeah. I think having a good understanding of what their, what's in their diet is super important because mm. we make around 250 food decisions in a day and we might Ooh. only be uh, sort of cognizant of maybe 10 or 15% of them. So I think that that actually knowing what's going in is going to be a really important piece of the puzzle because then because you're making changes right and you want to be able to evaluate what how these changes are um are working for you so mm-hmm. understand your baseline and i mm-hmm. am a fan of tracking your diet and mm-hmm. in addition to that you the same way that you track your training and how you're feeling and how you're recovering tracking your diet plays a um uh, can absolutely help you understand a lot of those sort of training metrics more as well, right? Mm-hmm. And you're talking about like using a software program to track that or something like that, or or is it just pen and paper? I that's a great question, and I think that um, it's individual based actually. Okay. And if you're working with a health professional, actually like a nutritionist dietitian, then right. even that pen and paper. Um, is is going to give you a good um, sort of understanding when you're sort of working with someone as to what's going in when and what, and they will be able to sort of figure out on your behalf sort of what that sort of looks like. But, and then of course, when you make the change and you're continuing to track, if you are using a MyFitnessPal or um, Chronometer or something like that, then you can see uh, where your calories sort of are starting at. Let's say you're at maintenance cap. These are your calories to maintain your weight. And then you can see how that might change once you make that dietary switch as well. Some of the negative aspects of uh, that we see when people go low carb, which are actually more about calories, you'll be able to pick that up over mm-hmm. those first couple of weeks, I think. I love that, Mickey. And yeah, the awareness piece, being able to track and then anything like sleep, training metrics, things, things, things that you can just tie together and see impacts one way or another, positive, negative, neutral. Um, so that's great. I wondered alongside this, the fasting piece, how we yes. fit that in, whether that's our overnight fast, extending that or how we blend or how you might suggest, you know, looking at intermittent fasting in this whole realm of, of the lower, moderate, low carb, higher fat plan. Yeah. So, and I mean, I, I probably don't need to say this because you'll be aware is that, that this is just my perspective and someone else 
with my same qualifications and and same you know general population may have a different um may have a different opinion but fasting and exercise bring with it pretty similar benefits actually like they both work on that sort of hormetic basis where a you know um where they help to do a range of things in the body that help in increase health and help increase our anti-inflammatory systems, our anti-oxidant uh, systems. They help, you know, upregulate ketones, reduce glucose and insulin, et cetera, et cetera. So sometimes if you've got someone who has quite a heavy training load and then they try to layer fasting on top of that, that might actually be um, too aggressive an approach. And, um, because it makes it very difficult to get the number of calories that you need in a day in when you've got such a short, when we, if you target a short eating window. Now, Dina, with your question though about um, uh, how you might actually go about some fasting, like I, re, I even think that 12 hours is a good uh I'm going to say moderate, but it's a, it's a good amount of time for a fast and you can still experience some of the benefits that do occur through um, that sort of fasting period. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like LCHF in that a lot of the benefits we see about fasting are for a population that might have metabolic health issues and not mm. necessarily be um, realized by that athletic population. And the last thing I'll say is that a lot of the benefits you see about fasting are very are true in rodent models and in preclinical trials, but there aren't as many sort of human trials to sort of show that, um, that there's an added benefit um, over and above sort of just eating that sort of 12 and 12, if you like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder too, when we were talking earlier about gender differences, potentially anyway, I mean, you, you mentioned the fact we have to pay attention to uh, our energy intake, making sure it's adequate or appropriate, especially if mm -hmm. we're speaking to the athlete, but then, you know, like life cycle changes aside from pregnancy, I'm thinking of our post-menopause set yeah. of yeah, yeah. active athletes. And, you know, there's so many resources out there. It's so confusing for women because now they hear like, actually you should fast longer and go ahead and keep your exercise as is. I just mm -hmm. wonder if you could speak to that population a little bit and maybe, maybe it is reiterating some of the points you've already made, but how important that is for, for the context. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Dina. And I would so some of the things which I think are super important as we age are protecting muscle mass and protecting bone mass, because these are the things which help keeps us functional and active and doing what we love when we're 40, 50, 60, 70 and beyond, right? That is, you know, that is the, the dream is to still be doing what we're doing in 30 years time. And if you are someone who is um, super active and you're not um, protecting that activity with the sort of nutrient substrates you need to help support bone and muscle mass, then you do run the risk of um, having uh, sort of, bone, I would say, bone issues and losing muscle mass and losing that sort of functionality as we age. So I'm quite hesitant, actually, to recommend long fasts for um, people who are 
sort of 40, 50 and 60 and beyond for that mm. reason, particularly if they're active, because yeah. we, you know, there has been some research and it is short term. So we don't know the long term implications of this, but short term research suggests that if you do go out and sort of go for a run or, or you are active, but then you delay eating for a few hours and then your sort of LCHF on top of that, mm-hmm. then that might not be so good for those um, sort of bone turnover markers that that they are able to assess. And again, we don't know the long-term implications of that. We don't know whether or not this is a transient thing that is um, uh, that that is then sort of recalibrated or rebalanced, but I think that we need to be mindful of, of those kind of things. Perfect. Yeah, there's so much press, as we all know, about fasting now. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like LCHF has almost taken a backseat. It's still in the car, right? Yes. But it's in the backseat and, and fasting seems to be in the driver's seat and the passenger side right now because it is on fire. And here's the thing, like you've been mentioning, we we don't know. I mean, we don't have a ton of data yet, but I kind of feel like a lot of individuals and not only, not only athletes, but a lot of individuals are like, you know, I'm just, I'm so frustrated with my body weight. I'm not losing weight. I'm not losing fat. I'm just going to fast and I'm going to do LCHF, right? So oh, yes. I, I would imagine, and I'm just guessing, but a lot of the, the individuals I see, and I'm sure Dina also, they, they're going to LCHF specifically. So I'm off the fasting, uh, off, off the fasting bus right now, but they're mm. going to LCHF because they want to lose weight. Like, are you finding yeah. like that's a primary reason? Absolutely. Because if we think about one of the sort of the so carbohydrate can absolutely drive appetite, right? Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, it does form the majority of the food that they've got in front of them. Like we were talking about what the average American might eat on a day-by-day basis. And so it makes sense then that if you drop your carbohydrate intake, then you're going to drop your calorie intake and thereby you will create that deficit that you need in order to lose weight. And we know that this is actually the case, that that that's what going LCHF can do. Right. But something which we haven't really sort of mentioned to this point is that LCHF might not be the best approach for fat loss for oh. some people because let's, some of let's these explore foods, that. Yeah, keep yeah. going, keep going. Okay, because sometimes, like, you know, when you are on that carbohydrate train and you're low fat and you're eating all the carbs and you're avoiding all the fats, suddenly this opens up a whole new world to the foods that you are able to eat. So whereby once you used to have like an apple for afternoon tea because, you know, fruit, now apples are off the table because you're LCHF. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, well, nuts are fine. And then, you know, cream in my coffee is fine because it's LCHF. Cheese is now back on the menu because LCHF. And and suddenly we've got just this influx of calories. And And for some people, and I see it over and over again, they just, they can overeat on LCHF. Yeah. Like, yes. Fat is more satiating, but it Mm -hmm. tends to be that way in the presence of protein. But for some people, and particularly women, it actually isn't as isn't that satisfying. Like fat by itself is not going to satisfy, and they end up eating more calories. That's so interesting, which kind of leads me to my next question, which kind of piggybacking on what you just said. So why do some people lose weight and some people don't on LCHF? Do you think it's yeah. because of what you were just talking about? 
I think it's calories for first and foremost, ah, actually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And because if you think about it, like, um, I mean, you guys, I don't need to tell you, but one gram of carbohydrate or protein is four calories, whereas mm-hmm. one gram of fat is nine calories. And since I brought up protein, this is the thing as well, is that is that they oftentimes people go towards those higher fat sort of options, but they don't think about their protein intake. And protein is the nutrient that helps get you satisfied more than any other nutrient. It also burns more energy through the process of muscle protein synthesis. It is, you know, but it's often overlooked when we're talking about LCHF because we're talking about carbs and fat. That's totally true. Oh my gosh. Cause all of a sudden protein is not in the discussion anymore. Mm -hmm. I have that. I have that all the time with athletes. They're like, Hey, I want to do LCHF. I'm like, okay, we need to talk about protein first. And like, whoa, whoa, no. I'm talking about like <laughs> low carb, high fat, like proteins are not part of the equation. You're like, no, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you Nikki, just yeah. need to preserve that. I feel like Nikki, you need to change the, the abbreviation. So M L C H P H F. Like we just need to put the protein in there and somewhere. I, I mean, I'll leave it to you to figure out the creative, uh, you know, schnazzy abbreviation, but totally. Dina, I thought you were going to say, put some YMCA in there also. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's a good no. idea too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay. Mickey, if, if an individual athlete, whomever is like, okay, I think I do want to try to maybe use this as a weight loss tool. Are you going to kind of recommend the MLLCHF first, like ease them into it? Or is it like cold turkey, drop the carbs, increase the fat, keep the protein moderate, and boom, we're good to go? What what would, and of course, everyone's different, but where, where would you start? Yeah, I would, I am much more of an MLCHF than I am and a, a VLCHF, if you like, mm-hmm. very low carb. Mm-hmm. But I yep. do know that there are people who respond very well to doing mm-hmm. what. Uh, Dr. Dan Plews would call a cold keto phase Uh and just going straight in 50 grams of carbohydrate or low, but I, or lower, but I think you can still realize the benefits of LCHF and those endurance adaptations that can occur when you drop your carbohydrate intake. If you just drop your carbohydrate intake, particularly if they have a, a, a particularly high one or that's what they're basing their sort of meals around. So mm-hmm. I'm generally going to drop the carbs down to maybe 100 and and then sort of from there as a baseline, maybe they'll go to 80, but then on a higher training day, they might be 150. Okay. Um, that kind of yeah. That kind so of you're approach. you're periodizing it beautifully because you're responding to the person's needs, right? In addition yes. to their, I mean, their performance needs. In addition to their health needs, I'm kind of curious with the statement you said in there. You said some people uh, respond to that, like what Dan is, like Doctor Plews is saying. Do yeah. you? I am so curious about this. Is that more of a genetic thing, personality thing, gender thing, time in life, like age thing? Have you? have you been able to kind of guide us into saying, okay, if you are blank, 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 you may respond better to a very low carb or that cold keto. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that like the only thing I can say with certainty is that, is that personality plays a massive part in Mm, that. And when you get a very driven type, a data driven type person who wants to do cold keto, 
then I'm probably not going to say to them, "Mm, let's just drop your carbs by, you know, a small amount. So I'm much more, um, uh, so so I'm going to um, sort of support them in in that sort of cold keto phase. Because, hey, um, I think cold keto can work really well, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I've seen it work really well time and again. Um, But it wouldn't be the first place that I go with someone. Okay. um, Because you do kind of have to assess where they are, not only in their life, but I mean, well, I guess it is more about what's going on in their life at that time, because I found the same thing. Like, even though maybe that's going to be a great approach, maybe they're just not ready for it yet because there are all these other stressors perhaps that would impair their ability to do this. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And in fact, some people that I sort of chatted to who um who have gone very low carbohydrate and they've been monitoring their blood sugars mm. have noticed that the stress response from that low carb approach has elevated like their fasting glucose oh. and and things like that so so you know you're not necessarily going to get those um physiological sort of benefits you would expect like lower insulin and low low right. uh, blood sugar because of that stress response so i think that's that's really important too yeah. So a spinoff of this is if someone is approaching you and you deem it very great to be on LCHF, MLCHF, are there in the back of your head, are you thinking about any dietary supplements at that time? Or is that down the road to see, I mean, obviously it'd be great if we all had blood work done before we go see a professional, yeah. but that just is not the case most of the time. I mean, do you, where do you kind of fit in those, the supplements if needed, when needed? when someone's trying to go down this path? Yeah. So some of the supplements, which will not surprise you that I really like, well, the first one is sodium, right? So Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I think that's, that's critical. And, um, and even if you are still sort of moderate to like a moderate carb, moderate to low, like that 80 to 150 or whatever, that is Mm -hmm. still fairly low in the context of someone with a, you know, training load of -hmm. some such. So some of the, and I know that you guys will obviously be very familiar with this, but when someone drops their carbohydrate intake, they can feel dizzy, they can feel headachey, they get that fatigue, and they think it's keto flu or low-carb flu when, in fact, it's just lack of electrolytes. Mm. And sodium, you know, when we drop carbohydrate, we drop our ability to store sodium because our water stores drop. But then also that lowering insulin, um, the lower sort of baseline insulin, Uh, um, response because we don't need as much insulin, there's less carb going in, does Mm -hmm. cause the kidneys to dump a lot of sodium as well. So so sodium is certainly one supplement which I recommend people sort of off the bat. I sort Mm -hmm. of I, I preempt it by sort of explaining why, and then I just get them to to pop those sort of salt shots in or take element or something like Mm -hmm. that. Okay. Yeah. But another one which I do like for, particularly if we're trying to enhance those, um, that sort of metabolic flexibility, um, which of course we are, and mm-hmm. um, and that fat adaptation and those enzymes that help upregulate fat oxidation, I might also suggest that we um, do some MCT. So mm-hmm. just it just because MCT medium chain triglycerides, they we can't store these and they help the body produce ketones. Uh, so I might suggest that in and around training um, mm. and and just gradually increase the dose because there can be some GI distress associated with the MCTs. Um, and then another one, which for some people, 
and it, it's individual, but L-carnitine mm. helps the body sort of shuttle fatty acids um, to be used for energy. And um, this was something which I picked up from, again, Dom D'Agostino, and this might be more in that lower carbohydrate rather than a medium carbohydrate sort of diet, but um, I would, um, but sort of three to four grams of L-carnitine um, powder can help someone who is really struggling with um, that sort of switch over from um, burning carbohydrate to burning fat. So that's something else that might come in. And then magnesium is something which I always suggest most people just take because most people need more magnesium. Yeah. I, you know, I will say just personally, Dee, I, I know you want to, Dina's raising her hand, but um, I, so I experiment with a whole bunch of things. I think you all do also, but in, in my experiment with LCHF the first time, it was a little rough at, at the beginning because I didn't increase sodium. I, you know, I didn't pay attention to that at all. And, you know, I was getting headaches and I'm like, wow, what's going on? I feel, you know, some people refer to it as the keto flu, but I was not reducing my carbohydrates in a ketogenic way. It was just lowering my carbs, but I'll, I'll attest to that. I think some, some of those, especially sodium is absolutely necessary in the beginning phases. Yeah. Amazing. Mickey, what about for our athletes thinking of, you know, wait, how do I apply this or just start mm. thinking about this if they are kind of digging it to it more on on their own, like adapting these strategies around purposeful training sessions, you know, if, if they're dropping their yes. daily carbohydrate intake, but yet still wanting to get the most out of their fueling, maybe you could speak to like the um, time and a place or how we yeah. might want to fuel certain kinds of sessions with uh, whatever fuel you might recommend in, in the right doses. Yeah, yeah, great question, Dina. And I think so. What we know is, particularly as you're headed into a lower carb approach and you're wanting to get those endurance adaptations, we need to be mindful of carbs before training. The body is used to glucose as a fuel source. So, whenever you pop that in before you go out training, it has no reason to then go looking for an alternative fuel source. So, this is where, um, Fasting from glucose before training, I think it can be really beneficial. So, so mm -hmm. if it is a an easy forty five minute run for most people, even though you hear that no woman should train fasted, for most people a forty five minute easy run is probably going to be fine. You know, so you're coming out of that overnight fast, you're doing a little bit of um, an easy jog, then I think that can help promote that metabolic uh, sort of um, efficiency first and foremost. If it's a longer session, then I would say, you know, or it's sort of a moderate sort of base session, then we know that having protein and or fat before a session still is, you know, there's no carbohydrate available. So that can still enhance those endurance adaptations. And Jeff Rothschild's work um, over here in uh, at AUT University has sort of shown us that, that so in order to sort of maintain the calories that we need to sort of support training yet get those endurance adaptations like uh, peanut butter before going out on a run or like a protein shake or something like that that can really help the longer that training session is I will just say the less important it appears to be that you sort of avoid glucose first and foremost the next thing which I think is really important is to 
um, for, you know, nutrient timing, and this is, you know, Bob's expertise, um, I would say put carbohydrate in after training. Um, the muscles are receptive to carbohydrate post-exercise without having to sort of utilize insulin for that or rely on insulin. So carbohydrate can get shuttled back into the um, muscle stores to, to help with um uh, recovery for the next session and that is important that's particularly important if you are training hard again you know eight to 12 hours later um and its importance um is questionable sort of um you know if you if, if you're not trying you know if you train three or four times a week that might not be yeah. as important um the other thing i would say is that you can utilize carbohydrate um, strategically in sessions which are more higher intensity by using carb rinsing. So, yeah. and you guys will be aware of carb rinsing where, you know, you might um, fill a bottle of your sort of typical sports drink and you might have it if you're doing, say, a track session or whatever, you might have it at the side of the track. Then you're having a, um, a swig of it and you're swirling it around your mouth and you're spitting it out. And you might do that several times during like a higher intensity based session. And the um, what that does is that we know that that can signal to the brain that there is carbohydrate on board. So it can push harder and your work output can be um, greater. And there's been plenty of cycling studies to sort of show this. Yet at the end of the session, the bottle might be empty had about 15 grams of carbohydrate as opposed to 55 grams mm -hmm. so you're still sort of um, supporting that session with some carbohydrate albeit what I will say is it depends on the phase of training for that individual and athlete as well like there is definitely a time and a place for um, you know 25 to 50 grams of carbohydrate an hour during your training session if you are practicing your race nutrition and and doing all of those things but that's just a way to utilize carbs strategically when you're trying to meet training goals and be uh, moderate to low carb at the same time. So I'm hearing a lot of nutrition periodization here because yes. you're talking yeah. about time, like duration, intensity of sessions, um, how many times you're training per week, maybe the training cycle mm -hmm. focus. I mean, there, yeah. and that's why we can never give one answer, obviously to any athlete, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is it is totally doable. You just have to be a little more methodical in planning. You can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, do whatever. I mean, I love the fact that you gave some food examples, peanut butter, protein shake. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Um, I was laughing because uh, just, uh, Dina, you'll, you'll get this, but we have a friend who we call the running dentist and she'll get it. JP, if you're listening, mm -hmm. she'll get a kick out of that mouth rinsing carbohydrate because oh, it's basically so sorry. sugar on your teeth, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know, and I'm so sorry, JP. I I, and I, I, I'm quite. I feel quite passionate about dental hygiene, and so that does yeah. go against, you know, I some know. of the sort of core belief. But sort of is the thing; it can work. I we'll know. just we we'll brush our works. teeth afterwards. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Have another water bottle there as well, so you're rinsing with That's carbs, right. and then you're rinsing with go. water. That's great. It's just it's funny, but no, listeners, it it does work absolutely. There's yeah. some great science behind that, but uh, no, it's just it's it's funny when you think about that, and I mean. Do you, Mickey, do you, when athletes come to you, you know, again, perfect world is they've got the, this blood work, they've got all this stuff and then we can look at it and we can really get into it. But, you know, 99% of the time 
no athletes are coming to us with all that information. Right. But how do you feel about like, let's get into one of my favorite subjects now is biomarker testing, physiological Mm. testing. Where does that fit in with your work with athletes in LCHF or MLCHF? Yeah. So if an athlete has access to a lab that can measure their, um, their fat oxidation rates, then a hundred percent like that is so helpful because we can get a baseline as to where they're at and, and how much fat they're able to sort of utilize as a fuel source. And then also it's quite a good illustration too. So if you're a complete sugar burner and it's telling you that you need, you know, 180 grams of carbohydrate just to reach these sort of the, uh, the sort of paces that you need to reach in order to meet your race goal, then that's pretty difficult for 99% of the population, right? So it's almost like a, a good sort of illustration. Um, but I do know that there are very, that, that um, broadly speaking, that's a minority of the athletes that we'll be working with. So the, I mean, the field test for how well you are able to um, sort of burn fat is actually like going out on a run and how long do you last you know mm-hmm. like can you run three hours on just electrolytes and water mm-hmm. um yeah that's telling me that you're probably well fat adapted do you want to do that every weekend no because <laughs> you'd probably put yourself in a metabolic hole um over time but that's not a bad sort of field test i think yeah are there other tests like biomarker tests or any anything related to inf- more information you would need as a practitioner to be more successful in helping the athlete with their nutrition plan? Yeah. Um, so a lot of the, the biomarkers from, so, I mean, if we're talking about LCHF, generally speaking, it, um, it could be quite helpful actually to, um, to, you know, put on a CGM and just see mm, okay. what their, you know, what their response is like to carbohydrate, different carbohydrate based foods. Um, and, um, and also how their sleep and stress might be impacting on their mm. blood sugar levels because these mm. things will impact on their ability to become metabolically efficient if mm. they're not sort of um, not even optimized but just not um, that good. Uh, but that's not a that's that's not an essential for me. I do like seeing those blood biomarkers to sort of assess a little bit of their nutrient status. So if they're low in any particular thing, then I do like to. Um, uh, I, I do like to uh, know that so that we can then do some targeted supplementation, albeit that's not really related to LCHF specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also uh, outside of the sort of blood biomarkers, then um, even actually if I come back to tracking, like getting a good record on chronometer and assessing for the nutrient intake across the board can actually just give us a good understanding of diet quality. So when they're making the transition to LCHF, you know, are they making choices that still help them meet their nutrient requirements outside of knowing what their blood work is? Um, that can be sort of easy as well. So, so they're yeah. just a, a few things. I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think if, you know, 
listeners, when you're when you're listening to this episode, you know, if you want to work with a nutrition professional, it is super helpful because we're going to ask you anyway. If you can keep a, a dietary food log um, mm. with with how you feel, even like a GI log with it, like how your digestive system is, sleep log, like the more logging you can do before you see us, it really helps us kind of tell the story and see what's going on uh, because we're gonna literally we're gonna ask for that information anyway. And I feel like yeah. like Mickey, like you were saying, that's the easy. That's the easy stuff. Like you don't have to yeah. go to the physician. You don't have to find a lab. You could you basically just do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. you know, one of the things when you go LCHF, just, I just thought of it when you were talking about the GI thing is that suddenly some people start eating a whole lot more cauliflower and uh, broccoli so and, and they're like, oh, but you know, my, I'm, I feel real bloated. And it's like, yeah. 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 So uh, here's a thing that's called FODMAPs. Uh, you might be experiencing yes. some some sort of issues with that. So you're you're right. Like some, you can troubleshoot so much by just knowing what someone's actually doing. Exactly. Yeah. I'm going to put you on the hot spot real quick, Mickey, before uh, Dina asks you this next next question. But you know, we're talking about LCHF. We're talking about MLCHF. Yes. It is as we're recording this. It's November 2023. Yeah. What what does a day in Mickey's nutrition plan look like right now based on your train like what what you're doing like what what take us through a day Okay so I so currently as we discussed um before uh, jumping on hitting record I've just done a marathon and it was actually it was sort of quite a quick build to a marathon because I then I hope to do my first 100k in February, um, right. Tarawera here in New Zealand. Uh-huh. Um, just got a bit of a calf issue I'm struggling I'm dealing with, but um, I track my diet and uh-huh. I find it very easy to do. Uh, and you know I I am one of those people who would restrict too much if I mm. didn't know how much I was eating. It's very easy for me. And I, and I, mm-hmm. so this is why I'm very cognizant of that. And, um, and the people that I'm talking with too, because, you know, this is what I do. So mm-hmm. I find tracking really helps me keep on track with making sure I eat enough rather than, um, you know, that it makes me feel restricted. Um, but currently for breakfast, that was a bit of like context. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I go through phases with my meals, actually. Um, and so currently I'm on a breakfast sort of, I'm on rolled oats with egg whites and protein uh-huh. powder for breakfast. Um, and I chuck a bit of cauliflower in there as well, because hmm. I know, I know weird, it sounds weird, but it adds <laughs> volume and I don't mind volume. <laughs> Um, and, and I would have also had some sort of collagen with, um, good green vitality, which is new zest. Um, and, uh, so that's sort of my breakfast and Mm -hmm. I will have some pre-workout before going to the gym and I may or may not have something sort of to nibble on just depends on, it depends on, uh, on how I'm feeling, you know, like sometimes Mm. it's like, yeah, I could do with eating something and sometimes I'm like I'm really not hungry Mm. um if I was out for a run like an intensity based run then I would be to having something small before sort of um headed out nothing not a meal like I'm not I couldn't eat a meal at that time and not some peanut butter yeah, yeah, it's a protein, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, like I was, we were actually talking about. And I know yeah. this is this is completely non-scientific, but sometimes I have ketones before I go uh-huh. out. Okay. She's she's yeah, uh, Delta showing G. the delta G ketones. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. we are fans. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, and I am a um, and the research doesn't support its use pre-exercise. Um, so maybe it's just a psychological thing, mm. but typically I'll have some MCT in coffee and then mm-hmm. have the ketones, and that'll um just make me feel like I'm, you know, um bulletproof on my run. Mm-hmm. Um and then at lunch I'll have a I'll, I'll I love like fried eggs and then I love potato that's been um air fried yeah. and and for those low carbers potato is actually pretty low carbohydrate for yeah. the volume you get so i think that's why i like it with a salad um and then i'll typically have an afternoon snack like i my non athlete clients i generally recommend that they stick to meals and not snacking but athletes we just need more calories so mm-hmm. i generally have like a protein uh might be a protein bar or um i've got a ninja creamy i'll do that after lunch um piece of fruit just depends on what i feel like prosciutto as well is another sort of favorite and then we roll through either chicken wings or um steak or salmon or pork chops or pulled pork something like that for for dinners that's generally sort of what I do I mean I had lunch already Mickey it's but I'm hungry again (laughs) just the way you described I'm salivating (laughs) and I do love a craft beer and in fact I was in Colorado yes and uh there were so many breweries too many breweries to um to um, oh yeah keep up with unfortunately (laughs) it's a tough problem isn't it (laughs) um Mickey this had been so informative. I was just thinking, have have we missed any important things that you wanted to share regarding like that medium or moderate to low, low carb, higher fat or healthier fat approach? Is there anything we forgot or you wanted to share? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think that people sometimes become attached to a particular way of doing things and, and they can often miss how they're feeling or um, how they're responding to an approach because they think that a certain approach is just this X, Y, Z, like low carbs got to be below 100. Um, high fat has to be, you know, X, Y, Z. And I think the less that we become attached to the rules around what we're doing and the more that we're sort of listening and tuning into our um, how we're responding to it, I think can um, go a long way whenever we're making any kind of dietary change. Yeah. And don't forget your protein. There we yes, go. Yes. Thank oh, you love it. for that. Well, Mickey, I don't know if you remember last time, but uh, we like to finish with our high five questions. So we're giving each other a high five, a virtual high five, but we're going to put you in the spotlight again. So our listeners can learn a little bit more about you, right? And just kind of get Maybe. to know who Mickey is. So we're going to shoot five questions at you. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. This first one, I'm kind of proud of this one because I thought about this, but would you rather do a hundred burpees at a time? with a push-up, by the way, or run the Red Bull 400. And I don't know if you would know what that is, but it's basically running up a 400-meter ski uh, mountain just at full full gas, full on. Oh, hands down, run the Red Bull 400. All right. There we go. Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah, especially 100 of them. Yeah. <gasps> uh, question number two, Mickey. So what's the most important physiological test or biomarker tests that you have personally done on yourself that was revealing for you or that you just learned so much more about yourself? I think the CGM was really interesting, Hmm. if that counts 
Yeah, actually, yeah. continuous glucose monitor. Yeah, yeah and to see what the sure. date's gone did to my blood sugar. That how, how long very, did you wear it? Oh, uh, I, I, I've done like I think it, three times for two weeks at a time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It is quite enlightening for sure. I wore yeah. one for yeah. a month and it was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Question three. What is your go-to plant-based protein source food? Oh yeah. Yeah. I do yeah. love, uh, I actually love tofu. Um, oh. and, uh, and so if I'm going to have anything that, um, can help boost my meal up, it'll probably be tofu, but I also do love the new zest plant-based protein mm. powder. Very mm. convenient. Okay. And yeah. Quite delicious. yeah. Cool. Um, Mickey, number four here. I know you travel and, and with, with where you live and, and you, your university experiences and everything, you've probably encountered all kinds of people out there in the world. So what's the f- most fun or coolest accent that you've ever heard in all of your time on this planet? Oh my goodness. I love the... I love the Irish accent. Actually. Oh yeah! Like, like don't we <laughs> yeah. all like? It's so love. good. Yeah, I can't. Then, I can't understand it. I can't. I it's so hard. <laughs> I know. I think my husband quite likes the Irish accent as well. He set up Siri to sound Irish, being an oh. Irish woman. It was. It's so awesome. Oh my yeah. gosh! Well, I love your accent. So I was just wondering, I do know. we have an accent to you? Is this like the American accent, or it, is it's totally not? the American accent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last last question coming at you. If you only had one sports nutrition product, this is going to be tough, okay? One sport nutrition product to recommend to any athlete, what would that one product be? Element. Oh, wow, that was quick. Okay. Mm. okay. Yeah, and that, so <laughs> yeah. listeners, that is an electrolyte supplement and and it kind of makes sense from what we were talking about today, right? Yeah. That makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we'll uh listeners, we'll put all of our references that we've been kind of pulling up uh, Element. I think we've got a few others that kind of popped up. We'll put, the, put those in the show notes. You actually know what the heck we're talking about if you don't know what those are, but um, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. And it didn't even take you much time. <laughs> no, no, it, uh, possibly because this is what I'm sitting on right now. So oh, okay. Do that. Yeah. But also, <laughs> but no, I think that, you know, the more that we can, you know, a lot of people rely on sports drinks to get their electrolytes and they're yes. very poor sources. Yes. They're, they're, you know, they're high sugar, they're lower than what you need in terms of sodium. So, yeah, and they taste delicious element. It, okay. Yeah, it's it's a very good point for sure. Well, Mickey, we so appreciate you spending time with us. We're going to put your podcast. I know you have a couple, but we're going to put, because uh, I just, I told you this before, I just love the name of your podcast, Wikipedia, because it's just genius. Uh, but we'll put all that in the show notes so people can reach out to you. We so appreciate you spending time with us, um, especially because you're you're in New Zealand and and we are not, unfortunately. Um, but if we do make it out, when when we make it out to New Zealand, we're definitely going to come uh, come surprise you for sure. For a that would be hopefully. amazing. Yeah. That would be amazing. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. I really appreciate you asking me and really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, fantastic. Thank well, you. thank you once again, listeners. Thank you for tuning in and stay tuned for our next episode. Well, we hope you enjoyed episode 111, where Dina and I sat down with Mickey Willadin and chatted all things low carb, high fats, and hopefully you have more answers regarding what you should do with your daily nutrition plan. Now, stay tuned for next week's episode where we build on this whole New Year title. And if you have New Year's resolutions or whatever, 
we hear this a lot from people, so we decided to create an episode on dun, 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 how to approach meal planning. Now, what we do is we give you six steps. This is a six-step process I use with every single person I work with. Super easy process in how to manipulate your nutrition plan by making meal planning easy. Six-step process gives you a whole bunch of ideas for meals, uh, meal planning, approaching, going to the grocery store, you name it. So it's super easy, super quick, and you will leave that episode with a ton of information and also life skills so you can always apply that whether you're at home, in a restaurant, traveling, doesn't matter. So stay tuned for that one. Now, if you do have a sport nutrition or question regarding anything from meal planning to low-carb, high-fat, high-carb, low-fat, whatever... All you need to do is email us. Send us a note at hello at insidesportsnutrition.com and let us know what you're thinking. Let us know your question. We'd love to turn that into a whole episode, Ask Us Anything episode in the future. Also, head on over to our website, insidesportsnutrition.com. You can find all the show notes, all the links, some great discounts, everything you need on our website. And at the same time, if you could go over to your favorite podcast platform of choice, Give us a review, five-star rating. That just really helps us grow our podcast, have more individuals listening to it around the world. We certainly, certainly appreciate that. If you would like to know what Dina and I are up to in our respective businesses, head on over to nutritionmechanic.com to see all of Dina's nutrition and testing services and head on over to energyperformance.com. That's E-N-R-G performance.com to see all of my nutrition coaching, endurance coaching, and physiological testing services. We certainly appreciate it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the host and guest involved. Do not represent a replacement for medical consultation with your doctor. The information and opinions provided here are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or medical condition. This podcast is for information, education, and entertainment purposes only. 